Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. I am delighted to have as my guest in this episode of the podcast, Dr. Alistair Martin. Dr. Martin is an ER physician with an appointment at Harvard Medical School as an assistant professor and as research faculty at the Harvard Kennedy School. And he also just wrapped up a year as a White House fellow serving as an advisor in the office of the vice president under Vice President Kamala Harris and in the West Wing Office of Public Engagement. Now, having finished that, he is serving as the CEO of A Healthier Democracy, which is an incubator organization and healthcare organizing hub, leveraging healthcare workers and healthcare settings as a place to build programs and movements that serve the needs of vulnerable patients. Alistair is a guy who lives that sort of statement, who lives that sort of mission. I first encountered Alistair a couple of years ago through social media as I was learning about Vote ER, B-O-T-E-R, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a, it's a project to activate healthcare professionals as well as hospitalized people and get them registered to vote and get them voting. And since then, just watching Alistair do his thing and learning about him, it's been amazing to watch. And that was what we really got to spend a lot of time talking about on the podcast. How does a physician grow up and come to a place where this is their mission and this is their work and this is where they dedicate themselves, this idea of activating and leveraging healthcare workers and healthcare settings to create programs and movements to serve vulnerable patients. Alistair's also the reason, for those of you who follow me on social media will, will remember, uh, a little over a month and a half ago, I got to go to the West Wing. I got invited to the White House, and Alistair's the reason for that. He invited me to participate in a series that he had helped put on on health equity, and it was one of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had. And and it was a fast, tumultuous few days. I got an email from Alistair that said, do you want to come to the White House? I walked down the hall and I said to my wife, I think I've just been invited to go visit the White House. She said, well, you have to go. I called him. I said, Alistair, just for real? He said, yep. I said, all right, I'm going to fly out in two days. And 72 hours later, there we all were. And we had an amazing experience myself, Alistair, and four other wonderful folks with whom I am now bound for life. Just a, just a privilege. And Alistair created that for myself and for so many others. We talk about all those things in this episode, and I think you're going to just be absolutely blown away by this person. He is a visionary. He is mission-driven, and he is focused on creating a better future. And I, for one, am excited to be able to partner with him for the duration of our careers and for many, many years to come. Before we get to the episode, definitely check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and you can hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. I'm active on both of those platforms. Please do share this episode. You can check it out wherever you listen to your podcast. Please do subscribe. Leave us that five-star rating and review. That really helps us out. Make sure you tell your friends and your colleagues as well. We are in the midst of voter registration season. Some states, the deadlines have passed. Some states, they have not. If you are not yet registered to vote, go and check. Go to vote.org. You can check and see if you are registered. You can update your registration status, make your voting plan, and help make sure others are registered to vote. We have a midterm election coming up November 8th. There's a lot riding on it. So make sure you do that work. And if you need help with that, you can reach out to me or to many others who will be more than happy to help you figure out your voting plan and determine your registration status. All right, having said all that, this was an amazing conversation. It was a treat to have Alistair on the podcast. 
think you're going to really enjoy hearing him. So without further ado, Dr. Alistair Martin. Alistair, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. I'm delighted you're here. Pleasure to be here, Mark. And uh, very excited for this conversation, my brother. It's good to reconnect. It's really good to reconnect. And I like that it's reconnecting. The last time we were together and the first time we were ever together was actually in Washington, D.C. for one of the more extraordinary experiences I've ever had. And, you know, I just want to say, first of all, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted you on the show. And you and I have been you know, talking about you coming on for a couple of years. But I want to actually start from a place of gratitude. I, I appreciate what you did with the opportunity you had as a White House fellow to bring as many healthcare professionals into that space, into the White House, into that experience, so we could connect with that amazing world and opportunity, but also to connect with one another and then to be able to do so publicly. That was an extraordinary thing to do. Uh, you've impacted many, many people, I think probably more than any of us would have ever thought, and certainly probably more than you anticipated, but it was amazing. And I think a lot of people will carry you in, in a warm place for many, many years to come. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for saying that. And uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad we got to check out the, uh, the Oval Office together and, yeah. uh, and uh, got to hang out in the West Wing uh, for, for a little bit. Uh, no, thank you for saying that. I, you know, I think I realized pretty early on that um, it's only through collective action that we're going to get anything big done in healthcare. And there are so many people who are fighting on so many fronts. And if and when we organize together and mobilize together and move together, uh, we are going to get some really incredible things done. And, and you know, I'm just, I'm just happy that I was able to help be a small part of that. So there's this, uh, there's this African proverb that, that I carry with me that is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so I think that that's just an example of, of you know, sort of my belief system, and, and I'm happy that, that I was able to help. Well, it was great to see that belief system manifested. I'm struck, though, listening to you sort of describe physicians and healthcare professionals working towards a different future with the if and when, because it makes me curious as to your perspective as a real leader in physician advocacy and as a, as a person who's created the work, who's done the work, who's led the work. Are we pretty fractured? Are we pretty sort of dissociated with lots of different people going in lots of different directions, maybe with the same intent, but not necessarily under the same flag? It's a great question. It's a great question. Listen, I think that at the end of the day, the vision that I have for the healthcare sector is it can and will be uh, a place for tremendous social good and social impact. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, ultimately, you know, look at the data, right? When, 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 when you ask Americans who are the most trusted professions, healthcare providers are consistently on top, right? Nurses, physicians, uh, and other providers. Uh, when you look at, uh, you know, places where people have got to go, uh, healthcare settings like their community health center or their primary care clinic or the ER, these are just sort of the, they're almost like the Ellis Islands of our society. Everyone has to stop by uh, and, and sort of do this necessary uh, uh, check-in with the healthcare system. And so we really have an opportunity to meet people where they are at and to mobilize this incredibly powerful uh, and, to my, from my standpoint, really untapped uh, reservoir of social change in the healthcare providers uh, across this country to, to really make some, some incredible things happening. And it's beginning to happen. 
Uh, but boy, I think the future is bright and there's so much, uh, there's such a high ceiling on how far we can go with this. And I'm really excited for, for the future. I'm excited for it as well. I'm a history major, so I also like to kind of reference. Mm, the take them back, are. Mark. Take them back to the <laughs> Let's history. Let's go back. Let's go back. Oh, yeah. We got to <laughs> go back to the history, Mark. Always. <laughs> Something happened along the way for you that I want people to have situational awareness of that activated you. Obviously, you're an extraordinarily talented guy. The people that enter this profession are extraordinarily talented by default, whether you're going to medicine or nursing. If you, if you decide to kind of ride this roller coaster, you carry a tremendous wide and deep set of talent. What happened for you that early in your career made you say, I'm going to use these talents to learn how to become a really good ED physician, a really good teacher, but a really good advocate? And I asked that from a place of the person who in their training wanted those things, but didn't do the advocacy piece until quite a bit later, right? I'm a mid-career physician, and I've started this work, you know, in the last four or five years. I had a lot of years that went by where I didn't have the same level of engagement. What were the things that you were on the lookout for and that you grabbed along the way that helped you get this activated this early on? That's a really good question and a deep one. It is, because, and I ask, right, so that people can listen to this and say, Boy, Alistair's way out there. I'm just starting my journey, but I want to be on the alert for these things so that I can follow that road because that road is meaningful. Yeah, look, I mean, I, it starts with me with my with my home and where I was raised. You know, I, yeah. I was raised in in a, in a low income community in New Jersey, and it was a minority my, uh, majority minority community. And my mom was a single mom, you know, uh, single parent growing up, and. Um, you know, tried her best to, to, to provide for me and sort of keep my, my world stable. Um, but, you know, if I got sick, uh, you know, my mom worked two jobs. You know, she worked as a teacher uh, during the day teaching biology in Newark, New Jersey, and, uh, and then taught adult, um, adult education or adult classes in the, in the evening. And so, look, you know, if I got sick, when she got home at 730, there was no pediatrician's office for us to go to. We went to the ER. Right. Uh, and that for me was, I think, my first experience really um, uh, engaging with the healthcare system was, was the emergency department. And I think what I learned from those early experiences is that the ER in uh, marginalized communities represents so much more than just a place to deal with gunshot wounds, strokes, and heart attacks. It's also a place where, uh, you know, people are engaging with, with the healthcare system, maybe for the first time or the only time they will for the next several years. Um, and so it, 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 it ends up becoming an opportunity to really uh, address some of the, the broader issues that are impacting, you know, impacting our patients and driving them to come to the ER uh, in the first place. And so I had this vision mark of like what it meant to be a doctor and that the ER would be this place where we could turn people's lives around. We could like, you know, start people in addiction treatment and we can register them to vote and we could, you know, get them uh, some of these mutual aid programs or, or supportive uh, programs from the federal government. And then, Mark, I went to medical school. And in third year of medical school, it was the first time that I had been in a clinical environment where I didn't come from a family with, with doctors. And I, I, didn't, I didn't shadow, you know, doctors before I, I went to medical school. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, and, 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 Mark, I got to tell you, I was, I was hugely disappointed by how 
our current healthcare system is set up. It seems as if there is every intervention possible that is placed in between patients and providers uh, to, to, to block them from having what they both want, which is, you know, a, a genuine, authentic care experience. Um, and so, you know, and, and a lot of different things happen. I'll tell you one, one specific story. I was doing this uh, internship um, uh, in the summer where I was working with uh, a charge ma- the charge master of a big hospital uh, academic facility. And, and for those who don't know what a charge master, this is a person who gets to set the rates, the prices for what patients will pay in the hospital for Tylenol or suture or shoulder dislocation or shoulder reduction. And I came to learn that the charge master, that one of the things that was happening was we were charging people more money for the same care, the same service, if they did not have insurance compared to if they did have insurance. So in a sense, we were, we were charging people who can't pay more money than, the, than those who could pay. And that's when I knew that the system was, was, was super broken. And I had a decision to make. Like, am I just going to complain about this for the rest of my life and sit on my hands? Or am I going to get in the game? And getting in the game meant going and trying to learn some new things and, and picking up some new tools and trying to stretch and, and grow outside my comfort zone and, and doing some things that are scary, you know, and going off the beaten path. Um, but, but that to me was, you know, my mom always said, like, look, you, you don't complain about problems. Fix them. Uh, and so that was an opportunity for me to go to the Kennedy School. I left medical school for two years and, and started that journey, uh, getting my, my master's in public policy. And I wish I could say, Mark, that I got all the answers, uh, but I don't think I did. I, I think I learned how to ask the right questions, though, from that experience. It's a good tool to have, though, to be able to ask the right questions. And I don't think anyone expects you or right now anyone to have all of the answers. I think what what I find exciting about you and having followed your work for, I, I don't know, probably somewhere around three to four years at this stage is the, not just the questions that you ask. I think it's more the mindset that you use and that you demonstrated when you were a white house fellow around inclusivity and around creating a space where people can join you in that work in a way that they don't feel like they're on the back foot. And I think it's really easy as a, as a physician leader to create an entity and invite people to join it, but they walk into it already feeling defensive or feeling like they don't know enough, right? It's like walking into your internship here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think what you're doing that is unique and extraordinarily powerful is the spaces are, are different. The spaces are very welcoming. I don't know if you have done that intentionally or how me saying that lands, but how, how do you go about creating these spaces? Because you've done a bunch of them and now you're starting a new one. How do you create them so that people can walk in feeling like from the jump, they're a valued member of the team as opposed to from the jump, you're here, but you don't really know anything. So maybe just be quiet and pay attention. Mm. Mm. I just got to let that land for a second. That's, um, that's a really important observation. And, and it's something that I, I, I definitely resonate with, um, I think it, it, it comes back to a really simple um, a really simple understanding, and that is that I truly believe that I don't have the answer. <laughs> I, I truly believe that that I got some of it, you know, like I'm yeah. gonna have thirty percent or forty percent of it. Yeah. 
But man, like through listening, through asking the right questions, through working with people, the answer emerges from the people who have the problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and, 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 and you have to, you have to include them and incorporate them in the, in the, in, in the problem solving process, right? Because uh, those closest to the problem are also closest to the solution. As I was thinking about your response to, I remember the first time I invited you on Explore the Space a couple of years ago, it was before the 2020 general election. And I said, you know, come and talk about uh, vote ER. Yep. And your immediate response was, it's not going to be me. It's going to be Kelly Wong. It's going to be Dr. Wong. Right. Um, she's going to do it. And she's going to do a great job. And she did. She was amazing. We had a great conversation. It was a really popular episode. I think people really resonated. It certainly resonated with me. I've still got my lanyard, you know, using it. I was struck by the pivot that you did. It wasn't a pivot of I'm not interested and I'm going to hand it off to a flunky. It was this is super cool. This person is the one that you want. I could do it, but this person is the one that you want. How important is that? It's not even delegation. Sometimes the word delegation means that you're handing it off to someone somehow like, I don't know, below you on the org chart or something. It's just it sort of smacks of that hierarchy. How do you how do you pass something along where the playing field feels that level so that when you connect me and Kelly, it feels like this is still absolutely the right person in so few words and so few gestures. It was one email. And I was like, perfect. Kelly's going to smoke this. And she did. Yeah, it, it's five words in, in community organizing. There are five words that, that set you free. Organize yourself out of a job right basically you want to you you want to organize yourself out of a job right you you want to get to the point where you become replaceable yeah uh where the people who you are training who you are working with who you are building up you can hand it off to them and they are running with it and they're moving right they're they're making the impact they're pushing it forward because at the end of the day um, you know, if the, if the organization or if the movement is built off of one person, it becomes very easy to take the movement down. Right. And so if we're not building leaders up along the way, um, we are not actually, I don't think we're creating sustained power. And, and, and I think that that's, that is so integral in the work that we're doing with ODR, right? Like yeah, yeah. when, when we started, it was all about, you know, Here's a very easy way to integrate voter registration in a nonpartisan way, in an uninterruptive way, in a way that is seamless uh, while you're taking care of patients. And we feel and, and we figured out that it cannot just be that. It has to also be let's build up the leadership along the way as well. Let's build up physicians to be, for example, at their site the site champion, right? The person who's, who we've trained in community organizing, who knows how to have, uh, uh, how to tell their story of self, us and now, who knows how to make hard asks, who knows how to lead a small team and strategically come up with their organizing goals and objectives. Um, because, you know, guess what? They then, in their community, they are a much better spokesperson than I am, Mark, right? Uh, that attending physician at the University of Wisconsin who everyone lo looks up to and loves because of their clinical excellence, that person is a much better uh, advocate for this work 
at the University of Wisconsin than I am. And so I've got to be invested in trying to figure out how do we train up? How do we give the experience to, to these folks? And how do we sort of build them up along the way too? What does the idea of taking credit look like for you? What, what is the idea of as a project develops and there's credit to be claimed and there's accolades and there's promotion and all of these sorts of things? What does that look like for you? How do you sort that out in your own mind in terms of apportioning credit? Yeah, I mean, I think I learned this um, from, from my time. This is one of the things I learned at the Kennedy School, and, and that is that the best political operatives, the best political operatives understand a very fundamental principle, and that is you can get a lot done when you don't care about who gets the credit. And so you for hear me, that a lot, right? I mean, that, one, that one's been out there, right? That one can sound mm-hmm. like a platitude, but how do you execute that? How, when the rubber meets the road, Take that and make it real because, you know, yeah, it's, it's great to say that. And it's, you know, I've seen it too, but you, you, you live it, uh, not to say that you haven't risen and will continue to go far, but there are plenty of laurels out there that I imagine you have with intention said, I'm not taking that laurel. It's going somewhere else. And rightly so. How do you actualize that? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like, what is the problem that we're trying to solve, right? Yeah. This is, I, I hate to pick a bone with academic medicine. Oh, please do. But I'm about, oh, no. but I'm about I'm to ready. pick a bone with academic it. medicine. Um, <laughs> you listen, Mark, come on, you know. I think that too often the problem that folks are trying to solve in academic medicine is I am not an associate professor yet, right? That's the problem that people are trying to solve. Yeah. Um, the problem is not, this person doesn't have a place to sleep tonight. How are we going to create a system to address it? People are but more the wrong focused. things are prioritized, right? The right. coin the, of the realm is not housing. The coin of the realm is promotion. And the focus, and the focus is contorted and twisted in a way that, that I think uh, distracts people from what the real work is and was that got them involved in the first place. And so I, I don't want to get too... I don't want to get too, too, too high up on my pedestal here with, with like academic medicine, you know, sort of being uh, sometimes an exercise in just paper chase, because I think a lot of really good work does happen in academic medicine. But I think often we obsess about it. But to what end? I mean, like right. to be a professor or an associate professor, like, did that make that person's life better? Like, did, are we leaving behind a better world because of that title change? Um, and so I think that ultimately, like what I'm focused on, the, the problem, the problems that I'm trying to solve, I, I'm very specific, right? I want to, in the next six to nine months, right, get 10,000 doctors waivered so that they can go out and start prescribing buprenorphine, right? In the next two election cycles, we need to distribute 50,000 individual healthy democracy kits so they can help their patients register to vote. Like these are the, these are the, these are the things that I'm, that I'm like obsessing about rather than Am I, am I going up the org chart for this, this, um, you know, this process, ceremonial process of getting higher and higher academic ranks? And again, I don't want to disparage, you know, folks who make a career out of it because I think it's really important. And there is a lot of good work to be done in that space. But I'm clear from my standpoint that that's not the central focus of, of what motivates me. I think having that central focus is critically important. And you've shared with us what you're doing now. Before we jump into that with both feet, I do want to just have a little bit of time spent on what you were doing for the last year, because it was rarefied air for sure, right? You got to be a White House fellow, and I got to see you in action and 
hear about what you were doing. It's the sort of thing that when you're in school, you read about people that get to spend time in the White House, part of an administration, and it can feel pretty far away. And it certainly feels very, very special. So let's since we since we envision this when we're kids, sometimes let's do a, an exercise from when we were kids. Let's do a compare and contrast. Compare and contrast, if you would, Alistair, being a White House fellow in the office of the Vice President of the United States with working in the emergency department in a major American city. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, that's a really good question. Um, and, I, and I have to say, I've definitely had several conversations about this exact question um, with, my, with my ER colleagues on several overnight shifts over the last couple of weeks. So um, I, I would say that the first, the first thing that is certainly similar is the the gravity of the work right like everything is important um that you're working on uh in some way in both places right so whether it's the patient who's coming in with a heart attack and you've got to diagnose exactly what lesion uh, the patient has and get getting into the cath lab in time uh, or you know whether you're working on a briefing for the vice president to make sure she's prepped for her remark session you know, at 2.30 p.m. today, like you, you get the sense that everything that you're working on is meaningful. And so I think that that's, that's the first um, place of similarity. The second is just the pace. Um, there's this thing that happens, you know, in an ER shift. And Mark, I know you, you've been, you've worked in, in ERs in the past and you're still very much clinically active. And you get when it like gets really busy, you just enter a flow state, Right. And you're just moving from one thing to the next, and you're you're kind of just in the zone. Um, and I think that that uh, is certainly something I felt uh, working in the White House. There's just there's nothing like the buzz, the electricity. Everything is moving so quickly, um, and you find yourself never bored. You know, at the end of the day, it's 8 p.m. and you're leaving, and you're like, you're certainly exhausted. But then those doors open out of the executive office building, and you're looking, you're staring at the you know the, the the front columns of the white house and it and it's like oh yeah that's right i was doing something really really important today and, and although you know i didn't get a chance to eat or 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 sit down <laughs> or you know like barely went to the bathroom um i i'm grateful for the opportunity to be moving uh that fast and doing things that are really important i think the big difference obviously is just and, and this is something that i i talked a lot about with my colleagues at the white house is that um, you can feel um, pretty disconnected if you are not careful in that job. And, and what I mean by that is you're working at such a high level, right? You're, on, you're working with cabinet secretaries to get, you know, get their offices prepped for meetings and for events. You're working you know, with, agent, with heads of agencies. Uh, you are you know, consistently sort of on the phone all day trying to make things happen that you can be a little disconnected from who is actually impacted from these policies. And so what I really appreciated was that, you know, I, I learned from many of my colleagues, you know, you've got to develop ways to stay in touch, to stay tapped in, to stay dialed in with what's actually happening on the ground. Um, and, and, and that's different than the ER, right? In the ER, we are seeing, uh, you know, uh, humanity in its naked form, right? We are seeing, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of people trying to make it work uh, in this country, uh, sometimes failing at that. Um, and so I think that that was one of the big differences. And there's a skill that I think, you know, we talked about a little bit ago, but this idea of, of, of 
credit and how we share credit and how we allow others to participate in the emergency department, credit is in the collective for sure, right? There's a, a, a an ED recess. It's everyone does their part and the recess is successful or it's not successful. But the credit that comes with that is a shared credit as you all move on. It's not like one person sort of gets trumpeted and gets certificates for doing those things successfully over the course of a shift. And I think that that mindset lends itself well to what you're describing too, of that really intense environment. It's, it's, it's executing on the project. Do you feel like that mindset is helpful as you do something like a White House fellowship? And then also as you go forward into all these different phases of your career, does, is that unique to ER training? That's a good question. I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to contrast this with other questions because I just, I'm not, I don't, I don't yeah, know I any of that. No, that's not what I'm asking you. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying yeah. that. I'm not asking you to like put other you know specialties on, on blast and say, yeah, we don't yeah. take the credit, but the surgeons do. That's not, that's not right. what I'm getting at at all. It's, it's more of this idea of was the training that you entered into, right. Deciding to go into emergency medicine. Yeah. Was that part of the training? And is that something you've been able to successfully leverage? Yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly believe so. I mean, I hope so. Let, yeah. Let's put it that way. I think the yeah. best way to figure that out is to ask, is to ask my colleagues at the White House. But I, I think that um, what you experience in the emergency room is, uh, you know, the, the, the symphony of collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. Like when when it's working, it's it's like an orchestra, right? Yeah. Like the nurse yeah. is 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 putting the eye, the text, doing the EKG, the the attending is reviewing the entire scene, the med student is doing, you know, and so like, it, it, it is like this, it is this beautiful, when it works, right, fine, finely tuned machine of, of just cooperation. And so at the end of that, how can you take credit for any one thing? Right. You know, like you, you, you know that the outcome was derived by many other hands, right? Success in the ER has many mothers. And so I think that much of that uh, belief system carried over into my work in, you know, at the White House because these, prob these problems we're trying to solve are so large, they're so yeah. massive, yeah. they're bigger than any one person, and it, and it, and it necessitates collaboration on these uh, incredibly large scales. Did that experience increase your innate level of motivation, decrease it, or no change? And I asked that because uh, I, I, had, I had half a day there, and I came home on fire. I mean, on fire. You had a year. <laughs> I wonder what that can feel like. Can you burn yourself out? So, you know, is it something where you came out of this year, like raring to go, no real change or smoked? Yeah, great, great question. Great question. I, I think I, I, I have to say that um, it definitely increased my motivation. You know, I, I would say tenfold. And the reason why is because I thought I had a fairly good understanding of what the problems in this country were. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I was paying attention. Uh, but uh, little did I know, uh, there, there's a lot going on that I just did not have, have insight into. Uh, th th things were revealed to me. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that, just, that just left me with this understanding that, man, we are at a critical juncture in our history in this country. We are at this point where, where, where things could go either way here, and, and we're not even talking partisan. We're, we're talking about, you know, what are the facts that we all can agree on, yeah. right? What realities do we live in? What are the consequences uh, of, of uh, denying 
uh, the results of elections. I mean, like, the, like where we are at right now is such a critical moment. And so I think firmly now I've come away from this, from this, from this year with this understanding that we have to create a healthier democracy and, and, you know, we can't as healthcare providers do it alone, but without us, it cannot be done. So in that space of increased motivation, incredibly high stakes, not looking to claim credit, but to share credit and to be part of that symphony. What are you working on now? And how do we get to join you? Because whenever I hear you speak, I'm just like, sign me up. Like, here's my name. Here's my phone number. I'm in. Alistair's there. I'm in. Let's go. Where are you now? You've had this extraordinary experience. You've had a few weeks now. I don't imagine you've decompressed or anything. You probably just kept on working. But where are you now? What's happening now that, that's, that's getting your full attention? Yeah, so, so you know, right now, the, the real thing that's motivating me is this, this belief and this vision that healthcare can be a major, major source of social transformation in this country, right? Healthcare settings and, and clinicians can be part of something huge in this country uh, to really address some of these upstream social terms of health issues that we've been talking about, that we've been writing about, that we've been surveying and studying for so long. The thing is, it's, it's, it's over. We don't need to talk about these things. Anymore. We don't need to survey them anymore. We don't need to write more papers about them anymore. I think at this moment, what we need to do is begin by identifying what are the concrete interventions? What are the, what are the programs and projects and interventions that we are going to start putting forward, trying, experimenting, innovating, learning from, to try and address uh, you know, some of the gaps that our patients have that cause them to uh, you know, really suffer the, the, the um, disadvantages of a broken healthcare system. So, so all of that, you know, all of that falls under, uh, you know, sort of the space, the intersection that I want to play in now, which is the intersection between healthcare and civic engagement, right? How do we motivate healthcare providers and healthcare settings to really, you know, put forward interventions and programs that will, uh, you know, put money in people's pockets to address poverty, that will give people access to internet, right? So that they can get on the telehealth or telemedicine appointment and they don't have to go to the McDonald's parking lot to bum their Wi-Fi to see their doctor. How do we create programs that make it easier for voter registration to happen at triage, in the hospital, at community health centers? Uh, you know, basically, how, how do we uh, create an incubator for projects and programs at the intersection of health and civic engagement that really move the needle when it comes to addressing the social terms of health. So, so that, that is the next phase of, of my work, and it's called A Healthier Democracy. Uh, and it's what we call a parent entity. Um, the best way to describe that is like Procter & Gamble is a parent entity, and it, and it creates lots of the pro products that you know of, right? Irish Mist and Colgate. You don't know that Procter & Gamble is the, the sort of the parent entity behind all of them, but but ultimately, they put out different products for different um, different use cases, and so similar, a healthier a healthier democracy will be the exact same thing. So, you know, three of our flagship organizations so far are Vote ER, which you know about, helping people register to vote in healthcare settings, 
get out the vaccine, you know, using GOTV methods to get people uh, vaccinated and then get waivered, trying to dramatically increase the number of physicians who have their GX waiver who can prescribe evidence-based treatment. And there are other programs which we're working on in the pipeline. So, so that's really occupying most of my time right now. And then the second piece is, is what, I, what I noticed in my time at the White House was that there was no center of gravity when it came to organizing in the healthcare space. What the climate groups do well, what the patient advocacy groups do well, what the child care groups do well, is they're organized and they're mobilized. And there's, there's you know, a convener who brings the groups together, who's, who's impartial and who sort of provides a platform for discussion. And so I think that that is absolutely needed uh, in the healthcare space. There's so, there's so much interest and intention around addressing the social terms of health among the major organizations. Uh, but they're not talking to each other as often as they could or should be. And so in my role at the White House, it was my job to do that convening. And I hope to be able to continue to do that through a healthier democracy as well outside of the White House. I think you are ideally positioned to do it. The work that you've done and the people that you've come to know and the experience that you had, and most importantly, the vision and the way you approach that vision. I think you're ideally positioned to be doing that work. How do people find you? How do they follow the work that you're doing? How do they find a healthier democracy? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, they can uh, find us at ahealthierdemocracy.org. And there's a, a link there that you can click to uh, send us your information. We'll, we'll follow up. Um, but mo- most importantly, I mean, it, it really comes back to what I, what I said. Like, you know, the, the, I'd, I'd love for, for folks to be involved and engaged in a healthier democracy and the, the umbrella work and the work that we're doing at the entity level. But really, it comes down to the programs and the projects that we're supporting and putting out there. So, for example, Mark, you know, we got a big midterm coming up, right? November 8th. And so, you know, one of our flagship programs, Vote ER, is making it easier for healthcare providers and their patients to vote. And so for folks who are listening, we want you to take one simple step, and that is go to voteer.org slash kit. That's vot-er.org slash kit. You can get your free Healthy Democracy kit to start registering patients ASAP. And not only that, in our new kits, you can track your own voter registration numbers, meaning how many patients you, Mark, registered to vote over the course of your last couple of months of shifts uh, in the hospital. Uh, and so, you know, you can compete with friends, you can compete with, you know, hospitals against each other. And in fact, we're just wrapping up a nationwide medical school competition uh, where schools uh, have competed against each other to see which school will come out on top in terms of voter registration. The last two years, Penn Medical School has been on top, uh, but this year it looks like uh, PCOM Georgia, uh, uh, Osteopath School down in Georgia, is, is looking like the, uh, the top dog, but we'll see. That is, that is really fun. I didn't know you were doing that, and I love it. That's fantastic. We'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. Alistair, this was a treat, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for all that you're doing. You're so much fun to follow. And just the work that you do is, is fascinating and motivating. I love it. This was an absolute blast, man. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Mark, for having me on. And uh, really excited to keep the conversation going with you and your audience. My thanks once again to Alistair for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. There's links in the show notes to A Healthier Democracy. Definitely check that out. Keep an eye on his social media feed. Keep an eye on mine. We are working on some projects that will hopefully be of interest and we'll be engaging mostly through Twitter at ETS Show. His Twitter handle is there at Alistair F. Martin. It's in the show notes. 
So follow us there. We're working on some things that will hopefully be exciting and useful as we approach the 2022 midterms. We will keep coming with more great content too at Explore the Space Podcast. And I am really delighted that you are here listening. We are coming up on episode 300, which is amazing and incredibly exciting. It's, it's strange to say that out loud. Definitely check out the Explore the Space merchandise store if you haven't already done so. www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. You can email me, Mark, at explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.